First Samuel chapter five, there's this story. Uh, well, the first Samuel chapter four really is where this all begins. And the Philistines, well, let's back up a step. Rather, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple of God, and the priesthood of the people has began to witness a decline. It's begun to witness a decline in morality and in righteousness and a God-honoring life. And so now there's this, really, there's just rampant wickedness among the people. And so what happens is, is Eli is the, uh, the priest at the time, and he's, uh, he's kind of borderline starting to make some mistakes as well. But his sons really make a lot of mistakes in all of this in this season. And it so happened that the Philistines invaded the people of Israel, and they went into the temple, and they took the thing that was most precious to them, the Ark of God. Well, or should we say they thought was precious to them, but I think they discovered, as we're going to see, that maybe it wasn't as precious to them as they thought. And so the Bible says that uh, they, they began to watch this, and they watched how um, the glory departed from Israel because the Ark of, the covenant, the Ark of God had been captured. And one of the women who gave birth, she actually went on to name her son in that season, Ichabod meaning that the glory had departed. What a name, Ichabod, right? And so the story goes on that now we're going to read here in 1 Samuel chapter 5, how the ark ended up in the hands of the Philistines. And I encourage you sometime to read the beginning of 1 Samuel. And you'll notice as you begin to read the beginning of 1 Samuel that one of the, the major enemy that the people of Israel were fighting were the Philistines, right? The giants, right? You remember the story of David. And uh, how David goes in and he fights Goliath. But notice how the Philistines seem to be the enemy. It always seems to change. But there's a little interesting theme there if you read it. So 1 Samuel chapter 5, it says that when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it into the house of Dagon. And Dagon was a god of the Philistines. And he set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. And this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter into the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. And it goes on to say that the hand of the Lord was very heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. An interesting story here, how the Ark of the Covenant had be, was sitting in, really what was happening was the Philistines, uh, it was their prized possession, right? They, they took the Ark and they put it in there, the temple of Dagon, this uh, fake god that they have created. He's sitting up on this platform and you know, he's just this concrete or uh, dirt statue that's sitting there. And then they take the Ark and put it right beside him. But they come in the next morning and they notice that Dagon's fallen over. And so they do what they thought maybe. Maybe there was a little wind or something. They don't know. So they put him back. 
But then they come back the next day and they discovered that something more had happened. His head was missing and his hands were gone, which basically left him uh, powerless in their minds. This morning I want to talk to you about a divided heart. The Philistines had a problem. Well, first off, their problem was they didn't know who they were messing with. They didn't know that they were messing with the God Almighty of Israel. They had thought that they heard the stories and they thought maybe they were true, but they did not realize that the God whom they were messing with was the real God of the universe. And what was happening was that was in the temple, in the place where they tried to make room for two gods, in God's mind and in God's heart, there is no place for two gods. There is only room for one God. And so Dagon, first, it was as if he just fell over. Second, it was as if he did not only fall over, but he is left powerless. And this principle, this idea, and this picture of the temple paints an important picture of how God wants to be in our hearts. That in our hearts, there is no room for two gods. There is only room for one God. And Dagon, it may not necessarily be a God whom we uh, knowingly go into a temple of worship, but it may be something that gets more attention than God himself in our lives. And I wanted to remind you today that in the kingdom of God, there is only room for one God, and Jesus wants your heart and your heart alone. There's no room for anything else in the presence of God. In the presence of God, when all the elders gather together and we're going to gather in the throne of God, there we are going to worship one God. We're going to bow down to one Lord. We're not going to bow down to other things. But we become a people that oftentimes become susceptible to having a divided heart that we try to worship two things or three things or four things instead of one God Almighty. But in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a divided heart. Jesus goes on to say that you cannot serve two masters. You either love one or you hate the other. And that is the same case in our lives today. Is In the kingdom, there is no room for a divided heart. This is why Jesus said the most important commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with half of your heart. No, he didn't say that. He said, with all of your heart. I want to tell you today that God wants your heart. God wants my heart. He doesn't want just a piece of it. He doesn't want just what we can do for him. He doesn't want just uh, who we are for him. He wants every bit of us, including our heart. I gave you a little bit of a preview on uh, Wednesday of this ne uh, next part I want to talk to you about. But if you go back and you look further on in Samuel, God begins to teach them about the heart a little bit. He begins to instruct them about what is going on in the heart. You see, the people of Israel, they were all fixated on appearances. They wanted to appear strong. They wanted to look good. They wanted to look brave. They wanted to the nations around them to look at them and say, they've got wealth, they've got power, and they can overcome us. But really what was happening was God was trying to show them all along is that that's not what's important. Something else is more important. And so it began to start with their little bit of rebellion that was working up in their hearts. And we're going to notice this theme today that the root of sin is rebellion. And you may not 
You may not say, you may say to yourself, oh, I don't rebel against God. Oftentimes, rebellion is not a noticeable rebellion. It's the little ways you rebel against God. It's the little things you do. That was what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve were being tempted. It was the little bit of temptation. It was the little bit of, uh, well, did God really say? Well, I don't know. It's the little bit of rebellion. It's that nature that comes up in us that causes us to try to oppose God just a little bit. And this was the problem in the heart of the Israelites. What happened was is they decided that they wanted a king. And Samuel the prophet knew very well that they were not supposed to have a king, that God was supposed to be their king. But notice what they did. You can read in 1 Samuel 15, 14, and 13, you can see the story unfold. Was They said, we want a king who's going to be a head above all the people. In other words, we've been fighting the Philistines. We want him to be a tall king. We want him to look strong. We want him to go before us and fight our battles. That's literally what they said. We want a king who's going to be strong and mighty. That was what they were looking for. Notice that everything that they were looking for was all based on appearances, but had nothing to do with the things that really matter, the heart. So what happened was, as you know the story, was there began to be a transition in 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel saw, the Lord gave a command to Saul, and Saul didn't do it. He didn't obey the voice of the Lord. And so the Bible says that he, the Samuel responded to him and said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as is obeying the voice of the Lord? It is better to obey than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Notice what he goes on to say. For rebellion is as is the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Notice it was started with a little bit of rebellion in the hearts. A divided heart is a heart that has just a little bit of rebellion. But a little bit of rebellion can lead us to disobeying the voice of the Lord and lead us in a path that we were never intended to go on. You see, God wants us to be focused on not what is on the outside, but is what is on the heart. So this is why the story goes on and Samuel began to read, is that the people wanted a king. Saul messed up. He was no longer the chosen king anymore. God had rejected him as the king. And so then the search went on, but God wanted to prove something to Samuel, that he was not fixated on what appearances, but on something different. So, therefore, he began to go and he went to all these people that looked like the most qualified candidates, the sons of Jesse. He pulled all the sons of Jesse in together and he went down the line. Are you the one? Nope, nope, nope. But notice how he went in. He went in looking for the right king. But notice how God began to change him. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, for, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This teaches us a powerful principle about the Lord, is that God is not a concern with how things look or how things appear, but God is concerned about the heart. 
So therefore, he goes on and picks David. David was the youngest. David was the shortest. David was the most unlikely. He was not a tall Philistine. He didn't look that strong. He, the Bible says he was ruddy. He just looked unqualified all around together. But in God's mind, he was the most qualified. This once again shows us that what God is concerned about is a heart that is fixated upon him. And we see that when the battle happens in 1 Samuel 17. Because immediately, David walks into the valley and he doesn't buck up his strength. He doesn't bring down a big sword and run, go running. He's not there very tall. He doesn't even put on the armor. It's too big for him. But what he does is he looks at Goliath and the first thing out of his mouth, notice what he says, is he says, Today you have defied the armies of the living God. Immediately David draws attention to the problem that what he was doing isn't a matter of appearance, that what you're doing is bigger, it's greater, it's what can't be seen, it's a matter of the heart. So therefore, God's going to take you down today. It was all a matter of the heart. And just like in Dagon, in the temple of Dagon, there is no room for two gods. You've either got to choose, am I going to worship God or am I going to choose the other thing? The problem is oftentimes we get so consumed with too many other things. Charles Spurgeon said that we are, we are a people who are guilty of becoming a factory of idols. We are so easily, we create idols out of anything. We create idols out of sports. We create idols out of our phones. We create idols out of everything that we do. But it doesn't matter. All of those things can be great in their place. But the, the matter is, is do we have a divided heart? Do we love one more than the other? In the presence of God, there's only room for one. You see, godliness are the attributes that God wants in our hearts. Godliness are the attributes that describe God's character and what make us as Christians different from the rest of the world. That's why as Christians, when we take on the root of godliness in our heart, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we not, may not act like the world or look like the world or smell like the world, but that doesn't mean that we continue to incarnationally witness Christ among the world. Godliness is not obtained by merit. Did you hear me today? Godliness is not obtained by merit or by works. There are some people in our minds we think, if I will, if I'll just try harder, if I'll just try and push a little bit more and do this or do that. Listen, you're focusing on the wrong things. The Bible teaches us that godliness comes through the result of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in our hearts. It's a work of God. When the Holy Spirit is living and abiding in us, you don't have to, as I heard one preacher say recently, you don't have to strain to produce fruit. It just naturally comes. It just naturally takes place. When you have a abiding relationship with Christ you don't have to worry about today I'm going to have more faith I'm going to have more love no it just overflows because it's a work of the Holy Spirit not of us if we could try harder to do it it would never happen because listen in and of our own strength we're humans we're frail we can't do it we need the Holy Spirit we need God himself that's why it's called godliness in other words maybe we could put it like this God likeness it's God inside of us Plainly, godliness is seen in our lives when God is living through us. And we see through the story of Samuel, we see or through the story of Saul, that God delights in the heart. 
God just wants our heart. God doesn't want, listen to me today, God doesn't want what you can do for Him. God doesn't want what you can give for Him. God doesn't want how you can, you, you can, whatever for Him. God wants your heart. God wants what is going on right here. We live in a 21st century American Christianity that oftentimes gets fixated on appearances. Well, if I'll just do all the right things, everybody will think everything's going okay. I'll just show up. I'll be there. But listen, you can do all the right things, but still something be terribly wrong on the inside. God is looking at the heart. He's not concerned about appearances. That was Saul's problem. What Saul said to the Lord, he says, well, I think I know a better way to do this. And so Saul did it his way. But in the end, it was rebellion. It wasn't what the Lord wanted. God wants our heart. Appearances are not what the Lord is concerned with. He is concerned with what is in the heart. This is why, this is why the Lord would tell him about David and point him back. The problem with Saul was his heart. His motives were out of check. And I want to tell you today that when we look at our lives, I want you to ask questions that are deep and personal when you go in prayer. Just look and check your motives and say things like this to yourself. This is a good practice for all of us to grow in our spiritual lives. Is Say questions like this. Why do I read the Bible? Why do I pray? Why do I serve? Why do I give? Why do I go to church? And what you'll find is when you begin to ask those questions, if you begin to focus on the, pro the product or the result without transformation, then what you have focused on is a wrong motive. And what God is concerned about is a change of heart. God wants to transform our lives. God wants to make us different. God wants to continually be at work inside of us. This is why James, he would go on to teach the church. James was talking, and I love the letter of James, because James was talking to some really religious people. They knew all the right terminology. They, they had church life down. They knew what it was all about. But there was some problems going in. There was some things that were off balance. And so he began to go in and teach them about uh, um, somebody who was among them that was causing some problems. And can I tell you something today? He might even be among us causing problems. And he might even be a behind a mask and in my mouth and yours and eyes today. This is why James, he goes on and he admits to them. In James chapter 3, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. I love that. I love that James teaches the church and he just goes ahead and gets it out there. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all have problems. We all are going to continually grow and, and be in this place of growth and transformation. And he goes on to say that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. How many of us are perfect today? How many of us think we are perfect? He is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So James begins to go into this imagery of talking to them about the tongue. The unruly member among them. The member of every church in the U.S. that causes problems. He says, look. At the ships also. They are so large. Those big boats, you look at them over there, and there the winds are driving them. But underneath them, there's this little rudder that's giving them all the direction. 
Then he goes on, he says, look, look at how a forest fire starts. You go out there and look, but notice, it only started with a little spark. And he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Listen to this. But he says, no human being can tame the tongue. Wow. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and we curse people who are, are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be so. He says, does a spring bring forth from the same as fresh water and salt water? And can a fig tree bear olives, a grapevine produce figs? Neither a salt pond yield fresh water. Such imagery, such picture being painted. But what he's really trying to get down to them is, is that it comes down to the heart, a divided heart. A divided heart is one that speaks both blessing and curses, one that is salt water and fresh water. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in the beach and you're swimming in the beach and then somehow the water splashes up and you get a taste of salt water. How many of you love that taste? It's so great. No, nobody does that. You want that cool, fresh spring water. And that comes from a heart whose heart is fixated upon the Lord. Jesus goes on and says this, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Really what it comes down to is this, is that a changed or transforming heart is witnessed through the transformation of our tongue. You don't have to say, I don't want people judging me. Listen, your tongue speaks for itself. You don't have to worry about that. What you say shows the transformation in your heart, shows the level of maturity. And this was what he was trying to get to the believers here, was that they were trying to get from a place of immaturity to maturity. And it comes by getting away from a divided heart, which is seen through the tongue, and getting a heart that is solely fixated upon the Lord. I read something like this that said this, that he said, uh, he said this. He said, toxic people are like this. He said, toxic people don't have a resolve to change. He said, there are such things as toxic people and unhealthy people. He said, the thing about unhealthy people is, is that they desire to get well. And that's the type of people that James is talking about. Is he says that we stumble in many ways, yes, but we desire transformation. Nobody among us is perfect, but yet we desire the transformation that comes in our hearts. 2 Corinthians goes on to describe this, and I want to leave you with this this morning as we begin to close. He talks to them about love. He talks to them about working in their midst. And he tells the Corinthians, he says, we have opened our hearts very wide to you. And he says, in return, widen your hearts also. He goes on to tell them, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked with unrighteousness. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now let's go back to 1 Samuel 5. There's Dagon in the temple. And the Philistines come in and they realize, here is the God whom we serve. And he's laying on his face beside the God that the Israelites serve. What do you think went through their minds? The first thing that went through their minds was fear. First thing was, 
oh no, we're in trouble. We have messed with the wrong people. But the second thing that went through their minds was, maybe he really is alive. Maybe he really does exist. As the story goes on, they begin to experience panic among them, and they were stricken with tumors, the Bible says. And they knew right away, we've got to get rid of this ark. And so you know what they did? They marched that ark right back to the people. They took it right back to where they, where they got it from. You see, the thing about a divided heart is, is that when we have a divided heart, people look at our lives and they never really know who's in control. They don't know, who do you love more, the Lord, or do you love something else more? But the thing about a heart that loves the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your might, and with all of your strength, people don't have to question, who do you love more? It is evident by the overflow of what is happening because the heart is transformed by the Lord. Godliness is seen. And God wants to come in and dwell in our hearts. God wants our heart. I'm going to ask the musicians to come as I leave you with this. If you go back and you look at the Old Testament, this process that began to happen, remember Moses spoke to, or God spoke to Moses and said, go, go build a tabernacle. Set up a temporary place where I'm going to come and meet with the people. But that wasn't the end. That wasn't how it was all going to stop. There was more. God began to work in David's heart and says, you know what? I want to make a permanent place. Go build a temple. And so God would call Solomon to come and build the temple. And so you go from this place of temporary, a temporary tabernacle to a semi-permanent temple, but that wasn't it. Because as we go here and look in 1 Corinthians 6, he says this. He says, For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, God went from a tabernacle to a temple to our hearts. And really what this says about God is, is that God has always, listen to me, this is so important today, that God has always desired from the very beginning to be with His creation. He has just simply wanted to live with us. He has just simply wanted to have a place in our lives. So therefore, he told Moses, build a tabernacle. I want to live among you. Okay, go, okay, Solomon, build that temple. I want to be in your midst. That wasn't enough. So God said, we're going to sin, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and now you're going to be a temple because I don't want you to just have to go to a place and find me. I want you to know that inside of me, I will be with you. This is why Jesus could stand up before he ascended into heaven and say, hey, don't you worry. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to forsake you until the very end because I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to put myself inside of you, dwelling in you, living with you, and I want to be in your heart. How many of us today have a divided heart? I'll start with myself and search inside. Do we love something more than the Lord? Is there some other thing living in our heart? I want to tell you today, God, he, He's not concerned about cutting us down, making us feel bad or guilty. He just wants our heart. He just wants to be the one thing that we love as we sing. I'm running into your arms. My heart will sing no other name but the name of Jesus. That's all the Lord's concerned about. He just wants us, our hearts, to be singing Jesus. Not anything else, not the song of anything else, but Jesus. How many of us, we need to start today and search our hearts.
There's a Dagon living in our heart. I want to tell you today, God has all power to knock that thing down and render it powerless if you'll give it to Him and trust Him today. He can take it away, make it so that He's the only affection of your heart. As James says, we all make mistakes. And this isn't a judgment on anybody. This is a starting with myself to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I've let something get in front of you. I want my heart changed, transformed. Can you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray today. Would you close your eyes today? Right where you're at. morning I want to remind you today as I was just preparing and praying today I just really just felt an invitation from the Lord to say God doesn't want our appearances he's not concerned about what we can do for him he's concerned about our heart and that's what he's after it may look good on the outside but inside everything's not all right that's what God's more concerned about doesn't matter how much we serve, how much we give. All of that's focused on the, the outward appearance. God is concerned with the heart. So how many of us, we need to give our heart to the Lord today? Maybe you've been following the Lord for some time, but you've ended up with a divided heart. You're, you're straddling two things. But I want to remind you today that God loves you today. He's not mad at you. He wants to invite you to come after Him with all of your heart. Leave that other thing behind. Get the priorities right. Maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's just you're consumed with something else. God, we want to get our priorities right today. So, Lord, this morning, we want to give you our heart. God, we don't want to speak both blessing and curses. I want to speak life, Lord. I wanted the heart inside of me to be transformed, to speak life that will transform others. God, I want godliness in my life. And Lord, I admit today, I cannot do that. I cannot do that on my own, Lord. Godliness is not a result of me. It's a result of you, Lord, working inside of me. And so, Father, today I want to invite you today to come and embody my life, Lord. God, that the world around me may see that there's something different, that they may experience the love of Christ through you having all of my heart, Lord, not a divided heart today. God, today I want to pray that whatever, whatever God, whatever idol like Dagon is living inside of our temple of the Holy Spirit, God, today I pray remove it from us. Lord, remove it from our midst today. Get rid of it in our hearts today, Lord. We want to serve you and you alone, God. All of our heart to you, Lord. All of our mind and strength to you today, God. Father, get our motives right before you, Lord. God, we want to stand before you pure and holy today, God. Righteous, Lord. Yeah, we may not be made perfect yet, but we're in the process, Lord. God, I thank you today. We worship you this morning. I want to invite you this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, you've never had the life-transforming power of Christ in you today, I want to tell you, invite you today, call upon Him today. You don't have to wait for something. You just call upon Him. 
Maybe you've been stuck with something going on inside of your heart. It's a chaos inside. I'm telling you today, if you'll just love the Lord with all of your heart, ask for forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that He is faithful to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. He'll take it all away. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to build you up in the faith. Just ask Him today. God, I want to give you my heart today, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've done. I'm sorry, Lord, for how I have been chasing after other things, Lord. I've been going to church, but inside there's not been that real transformation, Lord. I don't want to just look good, Father. Inside, I want to be transformed, God. Lord, change me today in my heart, God. Start inside of me today, Lord. Start today, Father. I want to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you today. We welcome your transformation this morning. We give you glory and honor and praise. The choir is going to sing. I want to invite you. You need prayer today. Would you just lift your head to the Lord right where you're at? Call upon him this morning as we sing. Turn your eyes to him. Give your faith to him today.